Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on another Thursday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Exodus. Uh, we are at that point in the month where I have Andrew Palmquist join me. He joins me every third, fourth week to discuss not only what I have been talking about, but also some of his own observations in the chapters we have been discussing. And so for this evening, we are going to be in maybe some of, a little bit of Exodus 3, but certainly Exodus 4 and 5. And now we are not going to get into that until after we respond to a couple of your questions. So anyhow, with that, Andrew, great to have you with me another evening. It's good to be here again, Joe. So Andrew, uh, what I would like to do is just jump right into uh, the questions I have received. There is a lot of subject matter for us to talk about this evening. And so the first question is this. What is, Joe, the one theme that stands out to you when you think of the book of Exodus? And so, you know, Andrew, just answering that question honestly, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give the listening audience the first thing that jumped out at me, and that was the word freedom, right? When you hear the book of Exodus, at least for me, I think of freedom, right? Exodus can also mean departure, a departure into a new freedom. Now, When you think about freedom, I suppose there is another word we ought to consider, especially in light of the book of Exodus, and that is the word law. So in in responding to this question, Andrew, I think we should take up the relationship between freedom and law, and, and do so by way of an analogy. You know, I have a son who is learning the piano. In fact, he is now 14 years old, and he has been playing the piano for a good 10 years now. And at the age of four, after we first bought the piano, if I asked you, is my son free to play the piano, if he were to walk over and to strike the keys, uh, you might say, sure, yeah, he's free to play the piano. No one's stopping him from striking the keys. But when you hear him strike the keys, and I asked you again, is he free to play the piano, how might you respond? But Maybe not so much. (laughs) Why? Because when you actually hear the sound of him playing the piano, what you hear is discord, chaos, noise, right? When someone is playing the piano and they don't know how to play the piano, you probably tell them to stop because it doesn't sound very good. And so here we are 10 years later, and my son now knows how to read music. Wow. He's been playing music for a long time, playing the piano for a long time. He's also now learning the guitar. And I should now include in, in this analogy uh, my other kids, because all my kids play the piano. My oldest daughter, who is uh, now 12, almost 13, has been playing the piano for eight, nine years. She, too, can read music. Uh, she's phenomenal on the piano. And to the point, Andrew, when I listen to my two oldest especially, Colby and Avila, play the piano, Let me tell you something. They are free Mm. to play the piano. And so in response to the question, as I talk about freedom, I would maybe pose the question to you and to the listening audience, what does it mean to be free? 
Right? This is the question I think the book of Exodus puts before us. My oldest son, as he's playing the piano, he's only going to be as good as he is obedient to the rubric, to the law, to the template of how to play the piano. This is not so untrue of our walk with God in the spiritual life, which is to say, this is not so untrue to our call to be obedient to the laws of God. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, his call for us to be obedient to those laws was not because he was some institutional authoritarian or punitive policeman up there somewhere. No. It was because he is a father who loves us, and he understands, as any fathers do, Andrew, you and I are both fathers, that laws are, are necessary for an ordered household, right? Right. We give consequences to our children because we know that if they don't listen to what we say, it's not in their best interest. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like what you've said in the past, which is that there's more freedom when that freedom's expressed within the constraint. So it's not like you're taking away freedom um, in favor of the law, but you actually get more freedom in context of the law. Yes. And so I, I do see that, especially as uh, parents, and something that I'm always trying to teach my kids yes. is that if you just follow these certain rules, you'll be much happier. Yeah. We'll get to do more fun things, but when chores don't get done and things are, you know, ar- ar- little arguments happen, then you have to put things on hold. Mm-hmm. And God put things on hold a lot, <laughs> you know, in that <laughs> context. And what he's wanting us to see is that, again, yeah, if we do follow his law, then we are going to be more free. Mm. Uh, and so in the end, what we are talking about here is not a freedom for indifference, Andrew, but a freedom for excellence, mm. right? Not freedom as a license to do whatever we want to do, but freedom as a law and a principle in light of what we ought to do, right? It's the want versus the ought, and, and the ought is, is what God puts before us, right? And so uh, something to think about as it relates to the book of Exodus, and again, that's that's my response to what I think of when I hear the word Exodus. Now, in the second question, we have a listener who has listened, Andrew, to my study on the book of Genesis, as well as Exodus. So he asks, in listening to your study on the book of Genesis and now Exodus, what would you say they have in common? Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, <laughs> that's a big question. I am going to distill my response to that question with one word, and that word is encounter encounter, right? If there's one thing that uh, Genesis has in common with the book of Exodus is that God desires to encounter man, right? God walks with man. We say, you know, you shouldn't take it so personal. Well, in the spiritual life, we should take it personal because our Lord is a personal God, right? He desires to encounter us. And as we were kind of talking, Andrew, in our pregame huddle, uh, in your many observations, certainly one of the things that you saw as you were going through the book of Exodus in chapters 3, 4, and 5 is this encounter where God is constantly dialoguing with Moses. And so there are exchanges there. And in those exchanges, we have beautiful encounters. So when when I am asked the question, Joe, what is the one thing that you see in the book of Genesis and in the book of Exodus that are in common, I would say the encounter. It's also to say, Andrew, that we have to remember 
in the books of Genesis and Exodus, we have the first two books of the great historical narrative that is salvation history. So one should be seen in light of the other. There are mm-hmm. many things that these two books have in common. Yes, there are. But I might suggest the one overarching thing that is a really theme is encounter, yeah. God's desire to to walk with man. Yeah, and we definitely we see themes of faith. I think that there's a theme of, you know, both books of the Bible start out with a murder, mm. and then there's uh, God expelling his people from the garden, and then God bringing his people back. Mm. So we, Exodus, he's bringing his people back to him. Genesis is consequences of your choices. And I think over the whole thing is building faith and maybe how, how we see ourselves in relationship to God. I guess that's one way you could explain faith. Yeah, when you look at that word in the Hebrew, emunah translates uh, responsive listening or firm response. Right, So the word faith in the Hebrew best translates as responsive listening. This is what St. Paul translates in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, and, and 16, verse 26, when he's talking about the obedience of faith. What he's translating is the Hebrew emanah, which is the Hebrew word for just not faith, but faithfulness. I think when we were together before, Andrew, we were talking a little bit about this, that you, you never really see the word faith in the Old Testament. What you see is faithfulness, because... Mm. That's what translates the Hebrew emanah, and that's what Paul is translating in the New Testament. So the obedience of faith is really best rendered in the Greek as the obedience that is faith or the obedience that springs from faith. The thing of it is, the word obedience literally translates as to listen, obadire. Mm. So faith is about the listen-response conversation, right, with God. And, And that's what's going on in the book of Exodus with Moses. He's asking questions, and God is responding to his questions. God is asking questions, and Moses is responding to his questions. So yeah, when you talk about faith, one ought to put it within the context of conversation, a a, a response of listening, which is then a conversation, really, Andrew, about prayer. And prayer is conversation with God. So Mm. what you see early on in the book of Exodus is... As Moses is dialoguing with God, Moses in prayer with God. Certainly there's Moses on the mountain when he's in deep contemplation. Yeah, we'll talk about that in future episodes in our study. But it's enough to say that at least on the surface what you have is prayer. And I I can just see the hand of God over the situation. So as, as you had said earlier, this to me it just speaks to not freedom, but to me I see the law. To, see, to me, I see structure and that God's willing to have a relationship with man, and man is inherently chaotic. Not that I'm saying God is changing his will, but the way he has to dialogue with us, he's in, with Moses here, um, he's continually having to kind of spoon-feed information to Moses little by little while he's already planned ahead for, for how things will turn out. And one that struck me was how Aaron was already traveling to Moses before Moses had even mentioned that when he's in a position where he has to speak in front of someone important, that mm-hmm. he tends to stutter and he has, you know, problems with his nerves. Yeah. And- Which I thought was a beautiful insight on your part, Andrew, that God had already set in motion what Moses did not see. Yeah. You know, you, you apply that to our own lives. 
God is already setting in motion what we do not see. And he's setting in motion the desires we don't even know we have yet, <laughs> right? We're going to ask God something, just not tomorrow, just mm-hmm. not a week from now, but maybe a month or a year from now. And maybe, just maybe, God has already set his answer to our question a year from now in motion. Right. Why can God do that? Because God is God. Right. He is outside of time. And he does so, why? But for our salvation. But we have to cooperate in grace, right? We can't turn our back to him, expecting um, him to work out our salvation um, exclusively for us. No, we have to cooperate. This is a give and take, right? We have a role. Yes, God became man and died for our sins, but we have to respond. This is what faith means, responsive listening, right? Mm -hmm. How many times did Jesus say, your faith has saved you? Mm -hmm. So we respond in faith and with this understanding that you put before us, Andrew, that, yeah, God is constantly doing all that he can possibly do because he is so madly in love with us to save us, (laughs) right? Yeah. And I think that's that's beautiful. Yeah, he's seeking us out because uh, I I think God by definition is a pretty stable person. You know, he 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 doesn't necessarily need us, but he's seeking us out in our ups and downs and in our yes the tra- the tracks that we take in life. Many of us may never go visit the Holy Land, or we may not go to Egypt, but God has planned out in each of our lives a personal exodus. Yeah. And their Amen. personal steps of faith and things things we need to say no to relationships we need to break away from, and if we if we pray and trust God, He'll lead us throughout each of our Exodus scenarios, and He'll lead us to someone like an Aaron um, that will yeah. discipline us. And I I liked how you said originally uh, in one of your programs how this is the reason why we have church. Mm. Mm. This this need this this community that we rely on each other, and then God provides Aaron for Moses, and this is why we have church. Yeah, the assembly of believers, the congregation of God, but most especially, of course, the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ. It's interesting, you just said Mm. something, Andrew, that struck me. You know, God doesn't need us, and I think maybe that's something for us to dwell on just a minute, because, yeah, need implies necessity, Mm -hmm. right? God doesn't need us, but out of his love, he desires us. He first thirsted for us that we might thirst for him, so to speak, right? This is the great invitation Mm -hmm. he puts before us on the cross, that he thirsts for us that we might thirst for him. With respect to Moses and Aaron, Mm -hmm. uh, slowly and surely he uses what is before him to bring his loved ones to him. And this is what we do as fathers, right? As fathers, we, you use the word spoon feed. We mm-hmm. slowly bring our children along for them to come to understand just not who they are, but, but who God is calling them to be. Well, Moses is asking God, he's asking the questions of why, why should the Israelite people believe me? And God is answering those questions by showing Moses three signs. Mm. And then I, I noticed that not, not only does Moses do those signs, but he instructs, he instructs Aaron to go do the, perform those signs for the people. We, we begin to see, even so early on, we see the, the fruits of discipleship. Yeah. It wasn't enough that Moses didn't, didn't just learn, learn the, the magic and keep it to himself. Yes. But he then discipled Aaron to do the same thing and trained him up 
as they both approached Pharaoh and as they both approached the children of Israel. Yeah. So you bring up Aaron, you bring up the church, you bring up discipleship. You know, Andrew, I can't help but think of uh, the Mass, you know, in mm. and the Catholic understanding of the celebration of the Eucharist, we call it the Mass. And the reason why we call it the Mass is because the Mass coming from the Latin missio literally translates as being sent forth, mm. right? It's where we get the word mission mm. in missio, to, to be sent forth. As Catholics, we receive the Eucharist and... As we now enter into that intimacy with God, we are being called to share this goodness with the world. Uh, and I highlight Aaron because he is the first priest. Uh, incidentally, Andrew, it's interesting that the first time you see the word church in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for church is kehal, the mm. first time you see the word church is when Aaron is vesting himself. So we talk about Aaron, we talk about the church, we talk about this call to be disciples. This is, in many ways, what lies at the heart of the Christian faith. And I think that's important as we speak to um, the role of Aaron in the Old Testament, right? Mm -hmm. He has the rod, and of course, the rod as the symbol of authority is, is, is the symbol of, of the priesthood for all the first Christian thinkers. And then looking back to those three signs, that when God commands Moses to throw his rod on the ground— and it becomes a snake, the, Moses' first reaction is to flee from it. And then God calls him again to not just pick up the snake, but he says to pick up the snake by the tail. Mm. And those of us that know, that's the most dangerous part of the snake. You don't want to pick up a snake by the tail. Yeah, when you first talked about that, Andrew, that really struck me. I, I loved that observation, that insight. And I, I imagine similar to how Mo, you know, God told Moses to, to speak to the rock, and, and Moses disobeyed and struck the rock. I imagine that there was a potential there where Moses could have said, I know better than you, God. That's not how you pick up a snake. Mm. <laughs> and he could have tried to grab the snake by the head. But yeah. it's, I think it's important for us, even as, as Christians and Catholics, that we listen to the words that God says, that we don't put, try to put our own understanding into mm. it. And how often do we do that? Mm -hmm. uh, how often do we finish God's sentences, so to speak? Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the things that really emerged for me from your observations was the virtue of patience. Mm -hmm. And I am reminded of that right now because part of patience is listening, to just not jump into a conversation or to just not finish someone's sentence, but to patiently listen, to allow someone to finish speaking. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem here too in our culture and how it affects each and every one of us personally, is that we have fallen in love, Andrew, with speed, right? We want fast food. We, we want instant replay. I was just at a football game live in a stadium, and I, I was getting frustrated because I didn't have instant replay to, to look at, right? <laughs> we want immediate seating. We want rapid recovery. We want quick fixes. Um, and maybe today, above all else, we want high internet speed. We love speed. Shoot, how many of us spend our money before we even get it? <laughs> we struggle to wait for the traffic light to change as much as we might get frustrated that it takes a few minutes to brew our coffee. Why? Because mm. we love speed. We are very impatient. Uh, I was just talking about the sporting world. In the sporting world, they say speed kills. Mm. Because on one hand, if you have a player that is fast, it's hard to, pending what sport you're playing, to cover 
that player. So we say in the sporting world, speed kills. Well, the paradox in the, the spiritual life is that, yeah, speed does kill. It kills the soul. Speed does not allow us to experience life as we ought. That life we are made to discern so as to be authentically joyful. Mm. And so if we are going to separate what is true versus what is untrue, we need time to discern. Christ says that we bring forth the goodness of God with what but patience. We need to wait. We ask, why wait? (laughs) And we do so because we should. That is, wait. It's necessary if we are going to listen as we ought. And the virtue of waiting and the virtue of patience, we hold on to the good in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of pain, in the midst of maybe something we might not understand. Moses, on a number of occasions, as you were speaking to it, didn't understand. He lacked patience. <laughs> I think it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul says, Indeed, we do hold on to the good in the midst of sorrow and pain when we are patient. Uh, so as I hear you talking about Moses, I am made to reflect upon the virtue of patience. And I throw it out, Andrew, to our listening audience, especially as we live in a culture and a time that is in love with speed, Yes, that we counter that speed with the virtue of patience, with the virtue of patience. Yeah, and I see that God, God's desire is to use our family and our political conflicts for his glory and for us to wait on the Lord. And that what I've learned is that speed is typically, maybe not always, but almost always the tool of the enemy. Mm. Mm. Satan will give you a shortcut. He'll give you an easy way out. He'll say, say this, and then you get the keys to the kingdom. You know, let's shortcut the system. But God says, patiently wait. Yes. Even with his people, he says, patiently wait. And even even throughout the period of the Exodus, it's it's sign after sign, test after test, endurance and patience and waiting and and, mm. and believing Moses and Aaron even even mm. the people of Israel are being tested by how many signs are are they really going to wait for 10 signs before they leave Egypt mm. because they I'm sure they they wanted to just get out of there as quickly as possible and yeah yeah maybe some did maybe some fled and maybe some perished but, sure. but we have to wait, wait on the Lord, and that reminds me of also something else that you had said, that not every good is a willed good. So we can do things that seem to us as good, but if they're not in God's timing, that can be against God's will. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we can have ten goods before us, and they present themselves as all very enticing, but who does ten goods at once well? You were talking about Satan and, and how he uses speed. I am reminded of of a reflection that has us going to the Blessed Virgin Mary when she is, quote-unquote, pondering all of these things in her heart. When first she gives birth to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and those first souls that that came to Mary and, and the message they had, she was made to ponder that message. And then, of course, also when she finds Jesus in the temple. Mm-hmm. She has an exchange with her 12-year-old son, and she was made to ponder these things in her heart. The Greek word for pondering is symbolane. It best translates as a, a weighing back and forth, a literally piecing together, a coming together. So when Mary is pondering, 
she's discerning, she's coming to understand the meaning of the moment in this kind of back and out and, and, and out and back, this back and forth and forth and back. Mm-hmm. Why do I talk about this? Well, we are made to juxtapose the symbolane with the diabolane. Uh, diabolane is where we get the word devil, right? Mm-hmm. Di- diabolos, what is diabolical? Diabolane. Diabolane literally translates as to scatter. You see, the function of the adversary, the function of Satan, the function of the devil is to quite literally scatter. Mm. And the Greek is, um, it's, it's like this throwing something into the middle of the road that we might scatter, that we might uh, maybe leave the path the, that the good Lord has tread for us. And so how do we counter that scattering, that function of the devil, the diabolane, but maybe by imitating Mary's pondering? piecing together, trying to make sense of, right? And again, this calls for what? But the virtue of patience, Mm. (laughs) the virtue of patience. And so as you raise, Andrew, the importance of just not how God uses family and political conflict in the end for the good, we are made to discern how God might in fact use what is going on in our family today. Even what is going on in our political climate today with all right. of this talk of impeachment mm-hmm. and these articles of impeachment, where is God in this moment? Maybe we think that God isn't. Well, my dear friends, God is full of surprises. Mm. And if you wish to question that, if you wish to doubt that, just look at the cross, the paradox of the cross. God is always using the most unsuspecting person, if not the most unsuspecting thing. And so we, we are made to discern that and not allow ourselves to, dare I say, Andrew, be scattered by all of the chaos around us, that we might be, in fact, rooted in the law of God, exercising our newfound freedom in the law of God, in our relationship with God. And I, I just think it's important that we know that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, mm. and that mm. the God of Moses is the God we serve today, Amen. and that there's none of our questions that we can ask that God hasn't heard and that God wouldn't provide us an answer for. Amen. Thank you for bringing that point up, Andrew, because, yeah, when you look at these encounters that we have been referencing this evening, most especially God and Moses, and we have been talking about for the past three months— what you find inside that conversation is not too dissimilar mm. <laughs> to the conversations we have today. Yeah. So that's all very important. Andrew, thank you again for joining me this evening. It's always a lot of fun to have you on. It's always a lot of fun to, to just not be in a monologue, but in a dialogue, <laughs> right? Thank you, I Joe. think people love to eavesdrop in on conversations, so dialogues are always uh, very important. All right, let us go ahead and close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift of conversation, the gift of dialogue, the gift to encounter you in the Word of God. We pray all these things in your most holy and precious name as we pray all glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Amen.